0: Uh, Welcome back, everyone. And if it works for you to have your video on, that'd be great. It's nice for me to be able to see people as I'm speaking and later uh, as we're engaged in discussion together. So if that can work for you to have your video on. I know some people may have bandwidth issues. I want to continue today with our exploration of the practice of what you might call wise speech or sometimes translated as right speech or we sometimes may speak about mindful communication or wise communication and I gave two talks on this in July and I'm planning to do two further talks today and next week in August that will um, cover quite a lot of teachings and ways of practicing uh, wise speech. And today I want to briefly talk about the foundations of wise speech and then really in the second part of the talk bring our practice of wise speech to challenging or difficult situations? How do we speak skillfully in a way that is grounded in our deeper practice to develop wisdom, compassion, and skillful action? How do we do that with challenging or difficult situations? And Even right now, I want to invite you to manifest one of the foundational areas of wise speech, which is to increasingly become able to stay present experientially in the midst of speaking. And so it's easier to develop and practice when one is more in a listening capacity And so let me invite some sense of presence. One very concrete way to develop that is to have maybe 20-30 percent of your awareness on some part of your body. It could be the hands touching together, contact with the cushion, for some could be the whole body, uh, hands and feet touching, something like that. And what this does, and I'll I'll go into more depth on it in a moment, but what it does is it takes us out of what I sometimes call the automatic mind when we're where we're in an exclusively mental realm. And when we're in that place, it's harder to know what's going on internally because we're more in a habitual or automatic uh, place. So let me invite just that 20-30% attention to the body, and this is, I'll come back to this, one of the foundational areas. So I personally love speech practice. I love practicing it, and I love um, exploring it and teaching and working with people on it. As some of you know, I, I was really inspired to do this particular series by having taught a six-day residential retreat on Wise Speech Practice at the end of June. And I remembered my, my love of the area. It's a really crucial area for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one is that it's one of the most powerful ways to bring our practice, as it were, off the cushion and into the rest of our lives. It's a wonderful, important, uh, daily life practice. And, you know, as I've sometimes mentioned, daily life practice, uh, sometimes doesn't get adequate attention. I would say in the insight meditation world, we often emphasize, uh, meditation and retreats, which are both very important. But daily life doesn't always get, in my, in my view, enough attention. Attention to wise speech is a great way to bring significant attention to uh, our daily lives because if we're attending to wise speech and by that we can also include electronic communication for many of us instead of trying to fit in somehow a half an hour in the morning of our meditation practice and trying to fit in, okay, this is my quote-unquote, practice, half an hour in the morning, and I got it in, great. If we suddenly, or or gradually, bring in wise speech, all of a sudden, many of us have five to ten hours of practice a day. Wow, that's significant, right? If we can actually have that, it can make a huge difference and really help us to uh, have that larger perspective that my life is about the cultivation of wisdom, love and compassion, skillful action in all the parts of my lives. So really, really crucial. And we also know that speech can often be challenging, that we can very easily be triggered. One or two or three words, maybe especially by people close to us, can trigger us. You know, and as sometimes said, uh, they know where the triggers are, And in our family, uh, you know, for example, uh, some of our family members know where the triggers are because they installed them, (laughs) right? And so uh, we know that a few words can trigger us. We also know that a few words can be incredibly healing and helpful and grounding, just a few words coming out of a, Kind and compassionate place can have great power, and again, we know we know the challenges of speech. Um, you know, often meditation communities have not really adequately, in my view, brought in skillful speech practice. You know, including work with difficulties and conflicts, and so historically there have been quite a number of challenging periods of time in many. Buddhist communities, you know, I've seen some of those uh, close up, right? Unless we bring in that sense of practicing skillful speech, including in difficulties and conflicts, you know, when challenges come, you know, people with Buddhist practice uh, won't be that different from other people. That's uh, sad to say, but I think, I think there's truth there. And... So I'll be, offering an, I'll be offering an approach to why speech that identifies four foundations, and then we'll bring it into, how do we bring those foundations into uh, challenges and difficulties. And just to say that these four foundations are the integration that I've made over the last 20 years. The last 10 years, uh, helped a lot in really collaborating with uh, Oren J. Sofer. We've taught uh, retreats on wise speech together. Oren has a great book called "Say What You Mean on Wise Speech," and but this is um, this is a kind of contemporary integration, which brings in you know a lot of elements of Buddhist practice. But what I'm presenting today doesn't simply come from the tradition of several thousand years. We could say it comes from the tradition that's alive right now. (laughs) That's one way to say it. Okay, so um, foundation number one. It's the one I mentioned, developing a sense of presence in the middle of communication. Again, especially to help us know what's happening, in a way, bring mindfulness into communication, so we're not on automatic. So we actually know what's happening, that we may have a better chance of knowing I'm feeling triggered, or there's a lot of irritation, and I, you know, I'm just, uh, I want to express my anger and vent, you know. And we can know that. That can help tremendously to maybe lead us to take a pause or say, you know, I'm feeling really irritated by this last part of the discussion, could we take a break, Rather than just continue on on automatic. And so the sense of being present again can be developed in different ways. And I especially recommend a simple way of keeping a little bit of body awareness, which over time can help us to Track. If we have some body awareness, we'll be more likely to track when something involving being triggered happens. And so that's a way to do it. Uh, Grounding, and again, I find grounding in the body fundamental. A second foundation, which I uh, discussed especially two sessions ago, is working with the four guidelines presented by the Buddha. And I gave a little more depth on that than I'm going to give now. But working with these four guidelines can be very, very helpful. The four guidelines given historically by the Buddha are to be truthful, to be helpful, to come out of a warm heart, however that happens, which can co- totally coexist with setting boundaries or saying no or saying that wasn't okay. It's harder in those circumstances, but. This isn't about being uh, nicey-nice, it's about because we can come out of a kind heart, kind and compassionate heart, even when we're saying something difficult. So just to clarify that uh, sort of ahead of time. And then the fourth guideline is the appropriateness of the speech, particularly having uh, good timing, asking is this a good time to speak about this, can be very crucial. And so this is, uh, this is from the Buddha from 2,600 years ago. And you can listen to, uh, for these four guidelines, he, he mentions five. But if you listen to them, you'll see that two of them are really about the, the good heart. A statement endowed with five factors, this is the Buddha, is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless. Which Five. It is spoken at the right time, it is spoken in truth, it is spoken affectionately, it is spoken beneficially, it is spoken with a mind and heart of goodwill. And so we can work with these guidelines, and I think I've mentioned in past sessions how I think I still have on my wall near my phone in my study, I have the four guidelines on the wall. And for a lot of period of time, particularly when I was working with groups with the guidelines, I would answer the phone, or I would or let me back up. I would hear the phone ringing, and I would go, "Truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello," right and would uh that'd be a way of bringing the guidelines into my conversation. Of course, wouldn't always keep remembering them, I might lose it for a moment, but it helps. And I've helped to bring in those guidelines sometimes in organizations, you know, as guidelines that the organizations can work with. It could be wonderful for, like um, a group uh, email communication or chat or something like that. And so these are wonderful guidelines, and I think they function in two main ways. One is they give us a kind of, set of behavioral guidelines that that can really influence how we speak. And secondly, they give us reference points that when we notice ourselves let's say violating a guideline, they almost function like wake-up calls. Okay, Donald, what's happening? That what that wasn't entirely truthful. There was a certain amount of exaggeration in what you said. Hmm. You know, and uh, so they can, it Can um, we might stop there and say, okay, what's going on? Uh, you know, I exaggerated my credentials for the sake of self-image. Okay, what's going on? Do I feel a little insecure in this situation or whatever, whatever it might be. So they can function in, in those two ways and can be uh, quite wonderful. Uh, a third guideline is really related to the first one, This is to practice with what comes up in the middle of speech. Practice with our thoughts and emotions that come up in the midst of speech. And if we, again, if we are feeling angry to know that, and it might mean that we, as I mentioned earlier, take a break. That might be a wise thing to do. Take a break. Or um, or maybe I, after a certain communication, I realize, you know, I'm actually, I'm still angry. You know, the conversation was over half an hour ago. I'm, you know, at home and I've noticed myself rehearsing a future conversation in which I'm still very angry. We might stop there and do some inner work with what's going on. Or I might later deliberately bring up my anger, relive, you know, in a meditative way, relive what I was doing for a few minutes, and then bring mindfulness. What's going on here? Let me be with the anger. Let me feel what this is like in the body and so forth. This is really pointing to the value of inner work in our wise speech practice. Some of it we do in the moment. Some of it we do afterwards. You know, again, we might, you know, find ourselves irritated, blaming, judgmental half an hour afterwards. That'd be a very good time to just pause and say, let me be mindful and see what's happening for the next three or four minutes. That's a major way to practice, right? So this third foundation is seeing the inner work related to skillful speech. And in some situations, you know, let's say I was really having a difficult conversation with a co-worker and I was finding myself, um, irritated, judgmental and so forth. Before I speak with that co-worker again, I might, you know, take, uh, You know, I might do 20 minutes of meditation and maybe at the end of that, deliberately bring up the earlier situation, feel what it's like in my body, relive it, stay with it a while, and almost like let the anger be met by mindfulness and compassion. Let it, you know, let myself be with it. So this is, again, something we can do. We can deliberately go into a situation from the past. Usually in our mindfulness practice, we don't deliberately bring up uh, the past or the future, but it's something we actually can do. The recommendation is to do it maybe at the end of a sitting when we're fairly balanced or more balanced. So that's the third form of practice. The fourth foundation for wise speech is something I brought up last time. And this is the practice of empathy, which I presented last time. Uh, you know, partly through the framework of nonviolent communication developed by Marshall Rosenberg. And I'll I'll come back to that in a moment. But just to say that empathy is a beautiful, beautiful quality. Uh, It's an innate capacity to tune into, especially the emotions, sense of what matters for another person, And the neuroscientific research shows that we tune in in three ways. That we tune in at the level of emotions, which is usually what we think about when we think about empathy. We also tune in at the level of meaning, like what matters for this person, a little more cognitive. That's a second dimension of empathy. Third dimension is more bodily, that we actually have through... part of the brain where the mirror neurons are we are actually tracking the bodily movements of another person and when another person the example I gave I think last time was someone walks across the room little mirror neurons in my in my brain have images of someone walking interesting you know they yeah I don't know how the neuroscientific researchers find that out because I I've never tracked mirror neurons but uh, apparently they're there. So all three of these are working and empathy is a beautiful quality. Um, I think last time I gave a quote from the psychologist Carl Rogers who talked about how it's such a, a deep aspiration and even longing that all of us have to be heard and to be understood, right? That it's so, we want that so much and often we don't get it, right? that we, we want someone to understand us and even to be interested and so forth. And this is from uh, Carl Rogers. He says, when someone really hears you without passing judgment on you, without trying to take responsibility for you, without trying to mold you, it feels, and here he uses a technical psychological term, he says, when that happens, it feels damn good. So a very, a very deep need that we have. And what I have found is that, you know, I like to talk about empathy both as an innate capacity, but also as a practice, partly because we can, partly because empathy over time and in many situations gets blocked. You can see this in children. We can gradually see the empathy that was especially there when they're younger, we can see that sometimes um, getting blocked by different things to fit in socially, sometimes by fear or anxiety, so that even though it's an innate capacity, it can get blocked. How many have noticed that in yourself or in others, that it gets blocked by various uh, forces? Social conditioning, you know... uh, if we look socially we we're, we're we'll see that we're actually some we're empathic towards some people but not necessarily towards other people. It's quite interesting right and this is sometimes organized by gender by conditioning around race or age or all sorts of things that we sometimes find it easy to be empathic towards people we like but not with people we don't like right It's very interesting so The natural empathy gets blocked and also empathy, even though it's natural, isn't necessarily used for, as it were, good purposes. A psychopath actually has empathy and uses that empathic knowledge of what another person is feeling maybe to do something negative or to manipulate the person. Uh, politicians have been noted to take their empathic knowledge and use it for manipulative purposes. Anyone ever noticed that? Okay. It can happen. Uh, and so I, I find it helpful and important to actually talk about empathy as a deliberate practice where we cultivate empathy for the purposes of understanding and connection. So we, you know, in that definition, I'm highlighting the positive intentions, the understanding and connection, and also seeing empathy as something that we deliberately move towards. And the way of practicing it that I offered last time was a practice informed by some of the um, ways that nonviolent communication has been developed, and particularly empathy as tuning in uh, to the emotions, let's say, first of another person. We can also be empathic towards ourselves. Tuning into the emotions of another, and also tuning into what matters for the person. And we did this through uh, looking at um, compilations of emotions and what matters. So let's go, Carlita, to that first slide on what in nonviolent communication are called feelings, which I'm 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 using the language and calling them emotions because it's less ambiguous. And so this is a a chart that identifies, let's go down a little bit, and that gives uh you know a large number of emotions and for the talk for last time, I actually posted this on the website. So you can download it. And we have that link uh, on in the chat, Carlita, or maybe we can put that in. i
1: uh, can put that in once I take this.
0: Yeah. They're, they're, I'm going to be working with three of these slides today. And they all are, I put them up last time, they're all on the Dharma Seed link for the talk for last time. And so this is really helpful because it gives us more kind of emotional literacy. You know, we we often just have a few emotions that we can name, but it gives all sorts of gradations. And so this is, but on the other hand, we are kind of more conversant with emotions. The second of the uh, list is the list for, um, is the list for, uh what are called needs. So let's put that up now. And I'm I'm gonna use the language of talking about what matters. And these are needs in and it's important to understand how the term is used in nonviolent communication. Yeah, let's go down so autonomy is just right at the top, like like that. That's great. And so these are needs. And the definition of need is very important here because a need is something that is always something valuable and positive. And a person may have an underlying need and not even know that one has it. You know? And the need is distinguished from the strategy. The strategy is the kind of the way that we try to get the needs satisfied. The strategy can often be unskillful or even destructive, right? And that I may try to, uh, you know, if we go up to the upper right hand corner, I may try to find peace by engaging in drinking a lot. You know, one example, I peace, I want to have peace, And I drink a lot and and I even use the language, I need a drink, right? And so I I like to use the language of what matters. And this distinction between need and strategy is really crucial because the needs are taken to be always valuable. And the strategy can often be really negative. Another example I think I gave last time is I'm the facilitator of a meeting And it's really important to me to have efficiency in the meeting so we can, uh, you know, meet our goals. And that, you know, we could say, well, that's a, that's a valuable, a need that's that, you know, that's a valuable sense of what matters. But my strategy is to be what we sometimes call a control freak, right? And cut people off and not let people talk. And I might monopolize the talking, My underlying need is valuable. So this is actually going to be one of the ways that we work skillfully with a difficult situation where we try to have empathy for someone we're having difficulty with, which is not always easy. I can have empathy for that facilitator who's a control freak. Rather than just be totally pissed off by the person being a control freak, I can bring in empathy and say, here is the need for efficiency. And here's the strategy, right? And really knowing that can shift with the way that I communicate with the person, right? Okay, so let's let go of the slide for now. And does that that distinction make some sense? And so one way, I think uh, last time, I did a little exercise, which I'll do again uh, just a little bit to to do some of the uh, we'll do an empathy practice similar to what I did last time, where I'm going to invite you to tune into my emotions and then your sense of what matters to me. Okay, we did this last time, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll do it without the the list of needs now. And so I'm going to just talk for about two minutes about something important to me. Okay? And I want you to be empathic towards Donald. Tune into my emotions and tune into what matters. Ready? Set your intention to notice emotions and notice needs. And just come up with one or two of them. Okay? In my front yard, there's a plum tree, which is at its peak right now. And, you know, the plums are so good. They took a few years to develop, but they're so good, and I'm enjoying uh, giving them away. This morning, I gave a little uh, bag of plums to the person who delivers mail, and she was so happy. I had given them in the past, and she was so happy with that. And it was also kind of my way of offering back for all how she helps with the mail. And I had, for my breakfast, I had oatmeal with uh, three plums and raisins and walnuts. Whoa, wonderful. Okay, cut. Uh, This was kind of related to the person who shared about gratitude to the farmers, you know, and and so forth. I could have gone on, but what what were a few emotions you noticed? You can just... uh, uh, unmute and speak up, or maybe maybe raise your hand first. let me. I can see your hand. Okay, hey, Victoria, name one or two emotions.
1: Um, joy and delight.
0: Great, joy and delight. What else?
2: Excitement.
0: Excitement. Yeah.
2: Gratitude.
0: Gratitude. Right. Appreciation. Appreciation. So. Great. And then what were some of the, the needs for a sense of what mattered?
1: give. Compassion.
0: Compassion, giving, Carolyn. Generosity. Generosity. Share the
1: wealth. Share the wealth. Share
0: the wealth. Something like sharing. Yeah. Wendy me one more. Yeah, Viv
3: making connection
0: making connection yeah beautiful and what, what i love about this empathy practice is a lot of what you named weren't exactly on my mind but they're they're valid like making connection i didn't think of that but it's obviously part of the experience right and so empathy practice is really really simple and um yeah and uh, very very simple uh chase did did you want to add one' because I'm, I'm gonna move on in a moment yeah
3: yeah i I just wanted to say that uh I was so excited about this exercise, and I wanted to do it, and I focused on the first uh seven words that you said, and then I completely went off into my misery, how miserable I am, how I'm being. Uh, persecuted,
0: oppressed, and totally was unable to participate. Yeah, well, just just noticing that, and um, maybe we can come back to that. You know, what happens? What happened? Let's come. Let's bring that back into the discussion, uh, Chess. Okay. Yeah, because it's really uh, um, it's kind of no different from the meditation. We can be focused, and then maybe something that's. Hard for us in the moment just comes up and takes our attention, so basically no problem. The you know the practice is just coming back. So, bringing our wise speech into difficult situations, including what was just named, how do we how do we have the perspective to bring uh, our practice into difficulties generally, and then into wise speech? Um, here, here, this is from the Tibetan tradition. When the sun shines and my belly is full, I look like a Dharma practitioner. But it is, it is when difficulties arise that my faults are exposed. <laughs> That's you know, probably a thousand years old from the Tibetan tradition. Another Tibetan uh, 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 saying turn all obstacles into the path of practice. Turn all obstacles into the path of practice. So this is our perspective, that we want to include challenges and difficulties and conflicts uh, in our practice. But this is not easy, right? This is not easy at all. And we, um, you know, we often... When there are challenges or difficulties, we go back into habitual tendencies. And so it can take a conscious intention to, um, to really bring our practices into these difficulties. And we especially are going to learn uh, a lot of the wise speech foundational abilities by first developing them in situations which are less difficult or not difficult at all. In other words, develop empathy, like in the situation that we just had with me, or develop empathy uh, in a situation where uh, you're pretty balanced, let's say. Develop empathy, and then gradually bring it into difficult situations. You know, when I taught the retreat on wise speech, we took the first two thirds of the retreat to just work with the foundational capacities. In ordinary situations where there's not a not a challenge or difficulty, last third we then brought it into difficulties. Sometimes even doing role plays, where two people would be together and and one person would say, "Okay, here's the situation. You're going to be this person, and this is what you're going to say when I say X, right? And you're going to say, and you know, you're going to you're going to be blaming and judgmental of me, and then I'm going to try out my wise speech." practices uh, in the situation. This is from the Buddha. Some practitioner is extremely kind, extremely gentle, extremely peaceful, as long as disagreeable courses of speech do not touch that person. But it is when disagreeable courses of speech touch that person that it can be understood whether that practitioner is really kind, gentle, and peaceful. Mm, Right? That was the Buddha noticing that, right? And so, I want to do do two brief exercises right now, and then we'll talk about it together, okay? So the first exercise is to think about a difficult situation involving speech with one person. And on a scale of 1 to 10 where 9 or 10 is the most intense and difficult think of something maybe in the 5 to 7 range where there's could be a challenge at work that has some difficulty but it doesn't like keep you up for an hour in the middle of the night right okay so brings bring a situation to mind that has some challenge or difficulty but is not the most intense for 9 or 10 and just First, think about what situation you want to choose. It should be just involving you and one other person. How many people have identified a situation? Raise your hand. Okay. So let's bring that that experience to mind as if you're reliving it. Bring it to mind maybe for a minute or so as if you're reliving it. Can I imagine the location, what was said, etc.? And start to notice what some of your experiences are. You might not have noticed it in the moment. What's going on with your body? What emotions, what thoughts are there? And now we'll do a practice that involves what um, we call the empathy map. So let's bring this on the screen now. And this is something you can uh, download from the earlier link. This is, you know, I've called this developing an empathy map for a two-person interaction. Pretty simple, very similar to what we just did. And this is where you can uh, just have this on a piece of paper, you know, uh, just uh, create, create four quadrants, just like uh, the slide, and then take the next few minutes, to f- to maybe the next two or three minutes, to fill out the empathy map. Not to be exhaustive, but maybe one or two or three, what are your emotions in that situation? What's your best sense of the other person's emotions? What are your needs? What matters for you? What are the other person's needs? Maybe we can, Carlita, I um, don't everyone, yeah, maybe we'll just leave it like this. See if you can remember the needs. Work on the emotions first and, and write out the grid. And then in a minute or two I'll bring the we'll bring the other slide in with the needs because that can be harder to identify Just identify one or two emotions, and then the other person's emotions. And let's go on to the needs now, and Carlito, let's have the slide on needs because that can be harder to harder to have a sense of. Let's put that on. And let's again have autonomy at the top, right at the top of the, the image. Yeah, great. And there are some others on the map, but I think we can maybe slide down just a little bit, Carlita, so we can also see what's below. There's play. Looks like most of them, yeah, most of these come, come under meeting. So let's go back up to where autonomy is right there at the top. We can kind of stay there. Yeah, yeah, great. And just look at these and then fill out the lower two boxes in the quadrant. Again, just identifying one or two. what are the other person's needs? Okay, and complete complete the empathy map. Let's let go of the slide. And then one further exercise. On the basis of your empathy map, looking at your empathy map, how might you act maybe the next time you're with this person maybe when something similar arises does the empathy map tell you anything about how to uh, you know relate to the situation or let's say that now with the understanding that you have from the empathy map would that affect you interacting if there was a a similar situation arising just think about that for a minute or two Now let me invite us to either continue the reflection on that situation or more generally reflecting on what we've covered so far, what seems helpful to you, are there places where there are questions, anything you want to share, maybe from your own experience. Take a minute or two right now to reflect further. And if you've been uh, practicing uh, wise speech since we last met and have some stories or experiences you want to share, that could also be appropriate. So let's open things up now to our, for our discussion time. And um, you can use the raised hand function, or I can also uh, see people if you physically raise your hand. And I see uh, uh, right now uh, Clara had, had uh, uh, the raised hand function up. I don't know if that's still a sharing a question or something. And then Nancy, Carolyn, and Wendy. And Lisa Marie, yeah. Please, uh, Clara, did you have something?
4: Hi, sorry, that was from earlier when you asked us to raise our hand about something. But actually, I'll do a little input. Um, I thought this was a good exercise on doing a math because I applied it to something personal that I endure every day. Not endure, uh, my mother's 91 And she's wonderful. And when I call her, she always tells me what she eats, how her day is, how her friends are. And I feel like a longing for her to ask me about myself and delve more into it. The empathy map made me understand when I looked at your chart. You know, she's very concerned about her health and her longevity. And that's why she tells me how she's doing with food. So I could put away anything that I need and just listen to her and understand that this is really worthwhile. And I am needed by her telling me all this. So thank you.
0: Yeah, great, really, to apply exactly the value to apply it to those kind of situations and, you know, and, uh, and really have a sense, oh, once I really tune in empathically, it might shift how I, how I, uh, respond or approach things. Yeah. Um, looks like Nancy, please. Uh, thank you very much, Donald. I
4: were- Two really interesting things from this exercise um, and the particular situation that I was thinking about. The first is that when I am feeling an emotion that is a little bit strong, I need to be very careful before I speak. Yeah. To make sure that the first thing that I say, in this case, to my husband, does not indicate that I am judging or blaming. Mm. That's that's the first thing. And the second thing is at the same time that I'm pausing before I speak. I should be asking myself, is this even worth (laughs) getting into at all? Is it such a minor thing that, that, you know, it's not earth shattering. Maybe I can just let this go. Even if he has made a mistake, so what?
0: Yeah, beautiful. How many can relate to that? Really, uh, that's quite something, Nancy, really wonderful, um, wonderful practice. And, We'll look forward to hearing how it goes the next week. <laughs> it's
4: something I get to practice with a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's beautiful. Beautiful, really, to, uh, to work with that and to have that as an intention. And, again, you can see kind of the interaction of the, uh, the different foundational practices. Here you were working with the question of timing. Is this even a good time? Noticing internally what's going on. And then asking, you know, and you know, asking, am I going to be speaking coming out of, you know, uh, a more of a blaming or judging mode? So, uh, you know, really, really, can, you know, I, we can hear s- several of those foundations. So thank you, and again, look forward to hearing how it goes. Uh, Carolyn, please. Yes.
4: Yesterday, um, I discovered that I might be able to get a tax decrease. So I phoned the Quebec tax department, and there's these new laws that have made it more, like, no, we don't speak English. Or if there's no one around, we don't speak English. And I could feel myself going up into my head and getting my angry teacher stink eye look, you know? (laughs) And I just went, and the woman kept talking faster and faster in French, and then when I convinced her that maybe it would take a shorter time if she used some franglais, we could do it that way, she spoke. And it was, you know, like I wasn't understanding, and I said, I'm old, I've tried, I just just cut it short, but I said, I'm not understanding. And this is going to take a long time. And I went in and out of French as I could. And it de-escalated. And I, I was fine with it. And I mean, in my environment here with my neighbors, I just automatically speak French. But it was, I could feel myself lifting off. And I just went, no. And we ended up just... Very pleasant. Well, wow.
0: yeah. yay! <laughs> yeah, c'est pas mal. <laughs> ah, pas mal du tout. It's <laughs> Yeah, uh, but but again, the the key that I was that I'm hearing is that you noticed your energy rising. You know that there was the mindfulness, and that made everything else possible. You know, Going so again, that combination of the inner work and the, and the, uh, that led to your being able to be responsive, not simply to go into that habitual reaction.
4: I also have a great empathy for anybody in customer service. Beautiful. I think an appalling job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Carolyn. That's a great, a great, uh, encouragement. Uh, Wendy, please. Great, you're on. Yeah.
5: There we go. First of all, thank you so much. The past month has been um, a journey, and I have appreciated greatly to see the impacts of implementing these into my into my um, daily interactions. Um, I've noticed, particularly with just the pausing of catching myself in different conversations, yeah. And remembering to pause um, that it, I felt like it prevented future or after the fact hindrances from arising of second guessing or wondering what had been said. But that, that pause kept me um, in a place of being aware of what was being said. So I've, great, I've really appreciated all these, these um, tools to be helpful. Uh, as I was thinking today of the interaction I had earlier in this week for the example today, And again, realizing the importance of just being 20% or being in the body as I recognize judgment, and I'm very sensitive to nonverbals and interactions and that type of thing. And to be able to realize as I'm rising, not as I'm noticing the somatic senses in me rise, that where I typically would react to. Um, put someone in their place. I was able to just kind of sit back, allow it to pass, and recognize that that might be them. What I'm, what I found difficult in your exercise here was recognizing what their needs are. Yeah. What are, I, I can see the importance of empathy for them, but identifying someone who is being condescending or judgmental—that's right. What are their needs?
0: Right. That's um, that's. Uh... A little more advanced practice, isn't it? But I I just want to highlight what you said about the value of pausing. It's very, very simple practice and goes so far, right? It goes so far and can really uh, help us in so many ways. It's just uh, really being off the automatic or habitual way of doing things, way of talking. So pausing is simple, but really, really crucial practice. So very, very, very wonderful. And then, yeah, this last point you brought up about—you <clears throat> uh, <throat> know—I gave that example of you know of the so-called control freak and being uh, coming into empathy. So you may want for uh, really tuning into what you sense are the needs or in the other language, the sense of what matters for the other person. When the other person, let's say, is blaming and judgmental, this is not easy, right? Because we're triggered, we may be defensive and so forth. So sometimes it's easier to do, you know, like five hours later and use the empathy map, you know, later, quite a bit after the event. As we get good at it, we can do it in the moment. But I think in the training for it, do it when the charge isn't there in the same way, as it has been, and also use the sheet. Uh, uh, you know that again you can download from the link that Carlita had put on the website from the the Dharma Seed <clears throat> listing of the last talk, and I'll, you know, I'll it'll keep it there indefinitely, and so. But it's it's hard. How do we how do we do that with you know someone who is blaming? You know uh, you have to look at the list and tune in. Do, do you have from that example right now? Um, actually, maybe I maybe I, I want to respect the other people who still haven't. Talked. I was going to ask another question, but that would be the short answer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank
1: you. I really appreciate your help. Thank,
0: thanks so much, Wendy and Lisa Marie and Judith and. Try. Right? We'll try to get. This will be all. Yeah. Hi.
3: Hi. Let's
0: see.
2: I think I'm unmuted here. Um, well, the um, the practice that we just did of exploring empathy for other was turned out to be surprisingly hilarious for me. Um, I chose a situation that um, comes up fairly often, which is I was looking. I would just happen to be looking out my kitchen window, and my neighbor across the street and her husband were walking down the street to the neighbor next door, carrying some kind of treat. And she's a person in the neighborhood who always has treats for others. And I noticed that I felt quite um, irritated that she was doing that and that uh, clearly I noticed I was feeling uh, she was one-upping me and being more uh, connecting with the neighborhood than, you know, and I wanted to be the one doing that and not for her to be the one doing that. And um, so in reflecting about it here, um, I realized that the reason that that's happening in the neighborhood is because of the community work I've been doing as a leader.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so that's the very thing that I've been working to bring into this neighborhood. And there's the success of it in my mind and I can't even, right in front of me, and I can't even tolerate it. Like that is... I need to increase my ability to recognize joy <laughs> as yeah you know like that's sh- that ought to be a joyful experience for me
0: yeah yeah and, and,
2: and it really it made me laugh the irony yeah. of like that's just crazy
0: yeah and then also bring in the empathy for yourself cuz you know again you could see that you know maybe this other person was uh, wanting to have community connection, whatever language we use. And you could see that for yourself, that's also a deep need. But here it is, you know, maybe there was some other need, like to be recognized or seen, right? That that was also there for you. And, you know, and then, but it was somehow uh, leading to, you know, the the judging of the other, right? But, but maybe for, it sounds like Next time it happens, you might might be experiencing it differently. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Wonderful. Yeah. Great, um, uh, Judith, and then uh, Chess. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah, uh, I I did a chart
1: uh, with my daughter as the other person. And I love my daughter dearly, but our temperaments and personalities are very different. I have moved into a new apartment. It's been pretty well settled, except for the second bedroom. (laughs) And I don't like the feeling when my daughter pushes me to organize it or wants to do it for me. And I feel manipulated, and uh, but I'm realizing that her her offering is out of caring and out of concern. And I just need to find a way to talk to her and appreciate the caring and concern, but still be allowed my own autonomy and right. to proceed at my own pace. I haven't figured out how to have that conversation. Yeah,
0: but 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 identifying those needs sense of what matters um i mean a good place to start is to empathically meter and appreciate the, uh, you know the caring the concern and uh you know and then somehow find a way to bring up uh you know the statement about your own need for autonomy right but uh but it sounds like you've come to really crucial insight, so that's the most important thing and we'll We'll continue next week and try to you know go further with some of the specifics because you know if' um, we're, I'm a little conscious of time because we're uh, at the end of the gathering, otherwise I might take another five minutes and explore okay, what might be a good way to do it and so forth but you can you can go there okay thank you so much, Thanks, Judith. Um, let's see. We had uh, thank you, yeah. chess, chess, please. I,
3: I woke up at three o'clock in the morning this morning thinking about a relationship that I've had with my cousin. He um, for twenty years, and I thought we we go back and forth. Uh, he he doesn't like what I send most of the time, and uh, through emails, um, and uh, and. I don't really like what he sends and and he doesn't really like what I send but we keep the relationship going and I'm ashamed of myself because I feel pity Uh, I felt pity because his dad uh, although he was a famous oncologist died early and so they were left with his mom and and five kids and I've always kind of felt sorry for them and that's horrible Um, I'm ashamed of myself I don't know what his needs are Although I can surmise that uh, I'm in the United States, so everything that I have to say and observe and perceive is, is probably fantastic compared to him who's in uh, another country, a third world country. And so it's, his stuff is all, also always kind of shocking because it's incredible. But I never absorbed that fact. I asked Carlina for the chart because I'm going to be doing that. Great. I'm going to be with him. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Jess. Yeah, stay with the empathy map and, you know, using the chart, you can really have your best guess for what the needs are because that starts, as we've seen from some of the other examples, that starts to really be important in helping us to shift away from maybe some of the ways we get triggered or, um, you know, feel, you were talking about shame and so forth. so. I would just stay with the empathy practice, including for yourself. The empathy map could be a really valuable tool for continuing with this. And also, uh, this may be getting, you know, maybe in the upper part of the range. so also work with ones that are maybe simpler and even easier, less emotional. And because and, we want to keep developing the muscle. Thanks, Jess.
3: Enormous thank you.
0: Thank you so uh, closing, let's, let me invite everyone, set your intentions if you'd like to, how many would like to stay with this for the next week and explore? Okay. Set your intention for the next week or the next period of time. See what's there for you. And how can I, you know, what helps me practically to bring these intentions into my daily life? And then we close by acknowledging that we do these practices and we meet together to very much to benefit ourselves, but also to benefit others. A horizon is both benefiting ourselves and benefiting others. Ultimately, the horizon is the benefit of all beings. May our time together be a benefit to all beings, knowing that we are part of all beings. So, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone. Thank you to Carlita. Yay, Carlita. If you want to unmute and uh, you can say thanks a
2: lot. Goodbye. Thank, thank you, Donald and Thank Carlita. you so much.
4: Thank, thank you. you, Carlita. Yeah. Thank you, Donald. Everyone. For sure. yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Carlita. Thanks, everyone. Such a blessing.
1: Yeah. Thank
0: you, Donald. Bye bye. Thank you.
1: See you next week.
0: See you next week.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.